0: Welcome to the Ignatius Press podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com.
1: Hi, I'm Catherine Lopez from the National Review Institute, and I'm delighted to be hosting this conversation with Father Daniel Maloney um, on behalf of the NRI. I and the Ignatius Press, which published um, Father Maloney's book, Mercy, What Every Catholic Should Know. I always get the word to put that. Not quite right. Um, it's so good to see you. Um, thank you for writing this book. We, we've known each other for, for quite a while, um, and it's a delight to be able to talk to you about this book what um well let's start with the basics what 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 exactly is mercy and you spend a lot of time in the book talking about how it is not the opposite of justice why is that so crucial to understand
0: well uh, part of the problem is that uh so mercy is the virtue that kicks in when things go wrong That's uh, basically one way to think of it so uh justice is is uh it's even it's etymology it's sort of the way it 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 it, it what it means in Latin, justice has to do with what's right. And mercy is when things aren't right, well, how, how do we deal with that, roughly speaking? Um, so if when you think of it that way, then you realize that mercy and justice uh, work together, that justice is a picture of the way things are or ought to be, and mercy is how we get from the hot mess we're in to that picture of what how things ought to be. Um, if you treat the mercy and justice as opposites then you have the following problem that justice is merciless and if we like mercy then that's bad for justice and uh mercy is unjust right that if i every time i i, sh- I show someone mercy i'm doing something that takes away from justice um and there's and people think that way sometimes that you know i uh we want to show no mercy to the people who who you know committed a homicide or something um, we want to lock them up and throw away the key, and that. But um, and then, therefore, every time you show someone mercy, it's hey, it's out. You, you know, it's outrageous. But if you, uh, but when you recognize that God is supposed to be both just and merciful, then if if they're contradictions, then God can't. Right? Then God would he, he, half the time be unjust and half the time be merciless, and both of that just doesn't make sense. So, uh, to, you have to just take these two the, the notions of justice and notions of mercy, and say, hey. Um, they've got to work together. They can't be opposites. And so that's why the when you and when you dig into it, you realize it's gotta be the case that justice is about the what the way things ought to be, the way things are when they're right. And mercy is when things go wrong, now what do we do? And the idea is that you move people you move people and situations from wrong to right. You right the wrong. That's the that's the virtue that mercy is
1: you um mentioned the hypothetical example of a homicide and you, in your book your book is very practical it's it's not just a theological uh, treatise or explanation um about you know how do you walk through you know what are the questions you need to be asking when when you're balancing mercy and justice in the case of of say a homicide you know famously we we um we just had a A slew of federal executions at the end of the last administration and uh and you know there was one case in particular of a woman who was uh had been abused as a child and you know clearly never had a shot in life and i i was amazed you know i think this is a prudential question to ask you know are there are there some circumstances where it's it's absolutely incomprehensible to kill someone i mean i i i i tend to not like the death penalty at all, but but um, people recoiled at the thought that you not kill her, um, you know, because uh, she had a heinous crime, you know. Um, how how do you calmly, soberly um, weigh those those things in a in a case like that?
0: Well, it, it's a it's a hard top, I mean So mercy sounds nice when you're getting the mercy um when you have when someone's done something really evil uh to show them mercy is uh hard and unpopular um you know when and, but then you think about the way in which Jesus drills down to like you know i my job is to come and die so that we can overcome original sin um sin is always going to be the uh, part of when you can't talk about mercy unless there's something wrong and so you have to look at, in, and so homicide is an example of something really wrong. But even more wrong than that is the killing of Jesus or original sin itself, right? So homicide is a uh, consequence of those other problems or of the, at least the original sin. So when you um, so every time you show mercy, it's going to be politically unpopular, um, unless everyone's on board with a fully a fully fledged Christian understanding of mercy. So going to your question, um if you assume that you have to kill somebody because they've done something wrong, that just whatever happened in the past is the reason why you have to, you know, requires you ties your hands so that you have to punish them, then you you, you can't show mercy, right? You've, you've excluded mercy from the picture.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but what, uh, I've spent a lot of the book talking about criminal punishment and, and that's uh, you know, because when you start thinking, okay, so I can't, the, that idea that I'm bound by the past and I can't change it. Um, the the reason why we t- we have that vision of justice is because uh, we think that well, there's a balance. Some style when you commit a crime, you throw society out of balance, and so therefore, this we have to restore the balance. And there's something almost mathematical about it. Like there's you know we're, we're like this. And we have to put it back like this, and um, And that's and and because we have a notion that the society has to be ordered correctly, and therefore, when it's out of order, we have to put it back. That intuition is that of mercy; that we have to right the wrong. It's just that there's only there's there's more than one way to right the wrong. Um, So part of what I do in the book is show how uh, mercy is a forward-looking virtue. Um, Retribution is requires us to look backwards and be governed by the past, no matter what. So no matter how bad it would be for us to kill somebody uh how how bad the consequences are we still have to do it that's the real notion of retribution um but every time you do something like you you uh give a criminal witness protection or you ask give him cut a plea deal with him so that he turns on his superior in the crime organization you're thinking well you're not thinking mercy you're just thinking that you know it's better for society going forward if we do this um, the question when you look at, a, uh, so anytime you have a criminal or you want to say, hey, how do we um, make this person better going forward? Is that possible? Uh, and in general, how do we make society better going forward? And we don't shackle ourselves to the past and sort of say we have to punish. We instead say, um, well, going forward, what's the best thing? And in general, this, is a, what, this just makes sense as a, as a policy the more people's wills are in favor of, you know, if you can take a criminal and make him a law-abiding citizen, that's a win for society. Every time someone decides, hey, I'm going to, my will is wrong. I'm going to make it right. Uh, and I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to, to not, you don't have to put me in prison because if I, you let me out, I'll, I'll abide by the law. Um, that's a win for society. And so all of the, the there's a, all this um, kind of, back when George Bush was talking this way, compassionate conservatism, um, that was looking at prison reform and saying, Hey, why don't we try to figure out a way to uh, not just have people, you know, lock them up and throw away the key. Cause over time that'll get expensive. And, but if we can take someone and make them better, make them want to be a part of society, then that's, then then why don't we do that? Um, That's, that's a mercy insight. With criminal punishment. So um, anyway, when you look at a homicide, you go, okay, is this, is this person going to commit a crime in the future? If so, then maybe we have to, I mean, are they a threat to people within the prison? Then then we have to, maybe maybe that would be an argument for, uh, for killing them. But if they're going to sit in their prison cell and just exist, then they're not really a threat to society, so there's no real reason to kill them. Um, if someone's committed a homicide, you think, well, they've, they've they've crossed a line that almost no one crosses. So they've now marked themselves as someone who's crossed that line once. We don't know they won't do it again. That's why you take, that's why we treat homicides so seriously, uh, people who commit homicide so seriously. But uh, will in the future, will they go and commit a crime? I don't know, um, probably not. <laughs> Uh, if there's someone who's looked at and they had they had a bad life, they've uh, repented um and, and now they're uh they're probably just gonna be a a normal person. A lot of you know, an 80-year-old um is probably not gonna go out and commit another homicide. So do we need to keep them in prison? I mean, there might be reasons for that, but do we need to kill them? If there's if we take retribution as a as a requirement off the table and just sort of say, let's do the best thing going forward. And maybe we don't really have to kill everybody who's, who's killed someone. That's a long answer.
1: <laughs> well, but helpful. Um, you mentioned unpopular though. Um, you know, looking, really taking a hard look at, at the, some, some of these cases um, is unpopular. I remember uh, years ago, um, we had a writer who, who was constantly reporting um, at National Review on um, prison rape. And and how prevalent it was, and people don't first of all don't want to know about it, um, but but also I I was always amazed at the comments where s- s- there's this attitude of dehumanizing someone because of what they did, and um, I I guess how how can mercy be you know, a prompt for an examination of conscience, not just in our individual lives, but but as a culture. And you talk, too, about how how mercy is, is political. Um, can you explain that a little bit, too?
0: Okay. Uh, well, first of all, mercy started as a political idea. Um, it was only because we talk about God as king that we started talking about God's mercy. Um, but originally, mercy was something that was uh, an attribute of kings. Um, the... I have all sorts of quotes in the book. I have quotes from Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, where they talk about it as an attribute of kings. But the uh, the, the most famous case was Julius Caesar, uh, who rather than what his, what his predecessors had done, which was to kill all the people, once they gained power, they killed everybody. Uh, Caesar was known for his clemencia is the Latin term. Uh, so his he said, no, I'm not, our goal is to have a, uh, you know, if I kill all the, the talented people in Rome, uh, we we'll, who will be the talented people working for me? So rather than be a tyrant, he became he was he promoted clemency and mercy and uh, and then that and in fact the Roman Senate uh, made a shield that had mercy as a prominent virtue that they gave to Augustus Caesar when he was became emperor, saying don't forget the whole mercy policy thing and don't kill us all please. Um, but uh, and then then the the Roman senator Seneca who was a great Stoic philosopher wrote. Uh, series of um basically a book on mercy that he gave to nero uh saying you know that mercy is the um the virtue that goes along with being a good emperor and being merciless is the mark of a tyrant so so the idea that you would that, that a king would be merciful is something that is that goes way back and part of the reason is that kings are powerful and to be merciful you have to be powerful right? if you don't have any power to make my life better then i'm not going to ask you for mercy I ask, ask you for friendship, for prayer, something like that. But uh, if you're, if you, so, so uh, so God being omnipotent is able to actually affect mercy. He's able to sort of lift, right the wrongs and lift up those who are fallen. Um, so that's kind of the big picture about how mercy is political. Uh, that that's where it originally started from is this, this connection with power, that if mercy has, a, is about um, those who are, uh, there's a power inequality when you're showing mercy to somebody. Um, I have to be I have to be able to help you. Um, but there's also, and this is the other point you were making getting to is that uh, mercy requires us to have solidarity with the person that we're showing mercy to. So when we look at someone who's being raped in prison, and say they deserve that because they're in prison. we've broken solidarity. Um, we are not on their team. They are dehumanized, as you put it. Um, and, and when Jesus says in the parable of the Last Judgement, that, you know, you, those, you have to, I mean, basically have to visit people in prison. Uh, When I was in prison, you came and visited me, therefore go to heaven. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me, therefore go to hell. It's telling us very clearly that prison, prisoners are in the the, the scope of our solidarity. We have an obligation to not cancel them. Um, But instead to sort of say, Hey, look, you're, you know, You've done something wrong. There's no there's no premise that in the, in that parable, of the last judgment, that they, when we're in prison, we're always always unjust. Um, some people take that like all all, we, all prisoners are basically Martin Luther King Jr. and whatever scrawlings they have uh, against the state are the equivalent of the letter from a Birmingham jail. Like that's just not the case. Um, they're bad people, but just because they've committed sins or committed crimes or have have a rough childhood or something like that, that have put them where they are, we want to do our best to understand them, offer them sympathy, offer them a chance of conversion. And at the very least, we might save their soul. We also might be able to add to that that they become a law-abiding citizen and contribute to society again. Um, But this is, and there's um, one of the great doctors of the church, St. Alphonsus Liguri, uh, had had a, he was the founder of the Redemptorist Order. He was a, he's a moral theologian. He actually wrote a whole bunch of stuff on how to um, minister to to people who are about to be executed. And he's like, and, you know, it was a lot of experience because that was one of the jobs that he had. As uh, so he'd go to people who were being executed in Venice and would sort of say, uh, or the Venetian Republic, and would sort of say, Hey, look, here's um, uh, or no, here here's the the strategy you want to do, and here's what you have to get. And you're going to find people with hardened hearts who don't want to go to heaven. They're so angry, whatever. And that's all you can't you can't win up when everyone, but you can win a lot of people um, by praying for them, by talking to them with generosity, not promising them that you're going to let them out. But your goal is to still help them repent and go to heaven. Um, interestingly, this was something that uh, was written in the Wall Street Journal years ago. Timothy McVeigh. Uh, the Oklahoma City bomber um, was a brought up Catholic, not a great Catholic, apparently. But at, on before he was executed, uh, he went to confession, and the point being, I remember reading this in the 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 the, the whoever's writing the article in the Wall Street Journal was saying that's a good thing, mm. right? Like, I mean, from the Catholic perspective, we want even really really bad people to repent because then there's rejoicing in heaven.
1: All right.
0: That's what they were told that the angels will rejoice in heaven and there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner than 99 just people. Um, so the, the since the whole point of mer, of God's mercy is to save us from sin and get us to heaven, um, we have to, if we're in, in, in line with what God wants, we also have to show mercy to even the tough cases and really bad people are tough cases.
1: That McVeigh story is such a testament to the power of divine mercy, which you, in the sacrament yep. of confession, which you, you write about a bit in the book, but I want to jump on what you, um, the word cancel that you mentioned mm-hmm. um, a little bit ago. Um, obviously we have a very merciless culture and we've got this canceling that's going on. You also write about the virtue sig- signaling and scapegoating in the book. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, so um, when I, I have a chapter called justice only politics. So I said before that um, you can have justice and mercy if they're opposed to each other, uh, where we can't show mercy, because it's unjust. Uh, if you sort of if you stop at that, that thought, then you end up, you know, you can have all these rich notions of justice about what racial justice looks like, what sexual gender justice looks like, or justice between the sexes looks like what Uh, You know, uh, just how how things ought to be distributed in society, economic justice, environmental justice. People have all these different types of justice. If you all you do, though, are saying this is what things look like when they're right. Uh, If you have no theory, no no wisdom about what to do when people aren't just when something's wrong, then the reaction that you can have is uh, anger, first of all. Um, And then. We don't yes. Then what we don't know what to do with you know since uh, we, we don't have a Christian culture where we show mercy to those who've done something wrong, we instead say, well, I guess we have to write them off altogether. They go under the bus. They're canceled. Uh, we um, we don't want to have anything to do with them, and uh, because to to if otherwise we would signal that we don't really believe in justice. That's kind of part of the logic, um, and there's a deep uh, sort of philosophical argument that's even behind that. Uh, Aristotle argued, the sort of ancient Greek philosopher argued that to, it, it, you, there's a right amount of anger you're supposed to have at an injustice, uh, and if you have less than that anger, you're you don't really take the justice seriously. So you have to sort of decide what's the right amount of just what's the right amount of anger to have given this bad thing that that you become aware about, and that's going to motivate you to get up and make change. And it's not a crazy thought. Um, if you know, if someone says, you know, do you hear there's a genocide? Uh, you know, the other side of the world. Oh, really? You passed assault? That's there's something wrong with that. It seems because it seems like you're not taking justice seriously. Um, and but people have taken that to a sense that well, then if I'm not angry. Uh, and this is an aspect of, uh, that I'm not really taking the, the justice seriously. So, and this isn't, so it tends to be the case that being woke today um, is a prelude to being angry at everything that's wrong. And because it's irrational, it's not an anger that just sort of, you know, someone cuts me off in traffic and I have a reaction. It's rather a, a, a in, intellectual uh, judgment about something being wrong, followed by my emotion of anger every morning you're going to wake up and notice that stuff's wrong and so you you wake up and you're always angry um and so then you're and therefore what happens is that that anger gets focused on one person that comes to my attention and they're the scapegoat um okay so i'm generally mad about racism but then someone tweeted something and we have to you know come down on them and make them the worst person in the world and that's, I mean, that's, So that's a general phenomenon about people who are very concerned about justice but aren't thinking in terms of mercy towards those who do something wrong. So that can apply also. To, I mean, for example, I've met people who are very strongly concerned about abortion and are pro-life who can't, I mean, who aren't, for example, praying for the uh, the person who, 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 who has an abortion or performs the abortion. But you should pray for those people. I mean, that's, you know, Abby Johnson is a great example of someone who our prayers benefited her conversion. She's the woman who worked at Planned Parenthood for, and ran a Planned Parenthood uh, center, and then now is an anti-Planned Parenthood, anti, very, very pro-life yeah. activist. Um, so, like, it's easy for us to to sort of absolutize our whatever it is that we're concerned about that makes for justice. Um, but what tends to start, the cancel culture that's gotten so crazy, I mean, I, I, I was talking to someone here at the Augustine Institute where I work, uh, and we were thinking that, you know, probably 10 years ago, if you Thought about it, the capital sin, the deadly sin that was most prevalent in America, was lost. No question. Today, anger might be, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: right, even bigger, Um, because partly we're cranky because of COVID, right? You're locked home, you're sort of, and just you're in a bad mood, and so something comes across your desk, and you're spending more time looking at your computer than you normally would, so it's easier for things to hit you. And, um, but then also there's this uh, just Sense that we have, uh, you know, we have to be woke to all the various things that are wrong, um, and and let your anger then go. That's the that's the thinking. And so, part of the the work you want to do in promoting mercy is also to sort of recognize that uh, you don't need to be angry in order to make a difference. That uh, simp- that a, a, a that if you're angry at the at this is one of the, the points that the the Stoic philosopher Seneca I mentioned says against Aristotle. There's so much injustice in the world That if you're angry at every amount Im- justice every injustice at just the right amount You'll be nuts mm. if, if you're so you know a typical left-wing portfolio of issues. I'm mad at racism. I'm mad at uh, Sexism. I'm mad at environmental injustice, right? I, I want things to be better in all these different areas well then, every time I turn around, there's something wrong. It's what they call intersectionality, right? You're aware of injustice from multiple angles. So the, the the total, if you take all the different ways in which something's wrong, not just in those big picture stuff, but also that this person wronged me. My, uh, you, know, you, and, you know, whether it's that person across the street, the person who cut me off in traffic, the boss who mistreated me, my spouse is, you know, uh, said something that I didn't like. All those things. Maybe you have a little bit of anger here and a little more anger there. And then you get something big like, uh, you know, the environment and suddenly I'm really angry at someone who's carrying styrofoam cup. Um, but the, the, when I put all this together, you're angry all the time and that's just not good for your soul very clearly. So that's why we talk about the person who's gone. Um, you know, the, the, the angry feminist or the angry black woman or something like that. Um, what's that either Perry movie, the Diary of a Mad Black Woman, right? Um, but like these are sort of stereotypes that you have of people who care about justice in the wrong sort of way. So what you want to do is sort of say, well, let's try to deal with the anger um, without and, and get rid of the anger without stopping caring about the injustice. So I'm resolved to, to fix this problem. I just don't need to be emotional about it. Same way that, um, you know, if my uh, car breaks I, or something in my house breaks, I just fix it. I don't scream and yell and throw other things across the room or whatever. Um, it's just, okay, it's broken. we got to fix it. Uh, so society's broken. Let's be resolved to fix it. And it might be difficult and we'll cry. We have to overcome obstacles and persuade people, but it's much better to do that as a kind of happy warrior, right? That's an, that's an old expression that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to battle today to make the world better. And I'm going to do it with a smile on my face because that's one of the ways to make the world better.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're supposed to be joyful even in the midst of the hot mess. <laughs>
0: yeah, and and again, this is where Christianity adds something to all of that, uh, you know, Roman philosophy or whatever, because Christianity starts with the the cross, um, and says that there is a way to through suffering and through hard work that involves suffering, um, and but there is a way that we can conquer evil. So if you have that hope that yeah, we can conquer evil, I mean, it'll be a end of time before. It, it's fully done. But in the meantime, yeah, there's gonna be sin in the world, but there's also Christian joy to be had. That changes your outlook. Um, rather than being so bleak, which is the way so many people are today.
1: As you to, much healthier. Um because you mentioned uh people being cranky because of COVID, I wanted, which is obviously a reality. I read something earlier, um, it was a collection of, of people. And um, what they were going to do for Lent, and um, it's clearly Ash Wednesday. If anyone's watching this after afterward, um, uh, and a lot of the responses were, "I'm already living my Lent. Like I'm not doing anything more. Like life is bad enough." And um, you know that obviously struck me as I, I can sympathize with that. On the other hand, Lent is a gift, right? right. And, um, and it strikes me that so many of the potential lessons of the last year maybe aren't being learned because we are kind of you know drowning in in our our misery um how how can we approach lent in a more just and merciful way
0: well um part of it is to recognize that it's a time of mercy uh that we're trying to that the reason we're repenting is so that god can forgive us we have to ask for forgiveness so uh, it's not again if, if you look at it as well I've paid in this amount of pain therefore God owes me something mm-hmm. you're not you're not asking for mercy you're thinking you're talking justice terms you know well I need I, I, I'm owed something and that's of course the entire uh, Christian story is that God owes us nothing uh-huh. um except what you know when we keep our end of his covenant, so uh, the the covenant, and I write about covenantal theology in the middle of the book about how Jesus makes a sacrifice uh, with uh, God and seals a covenant individually between him and God, which then he turns around, God says, well, I can't give you anything, basically, you're already the son of God, Um, so so the covenant therefore extends to anyone you want to extend it to, Um, so then that's where we so so through through baptism and through the other sacraments, especially confession, uh, we get united to Christ's covenant, and that's what. Um, but outside of Christ, we're owed nothing by God because we're in a state of original sin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So to forget that is to forget the point of Lent. It's not so again. It's not like you know. Well, uh, if I give up chocolate and two other things, uh, that's equivalent to. Uh, you know, homeschooling my kids because like they can't go to school. Like, right? It's not you don't think of it that way. Instead, think of how can I relate myself more thoroughly to Christ, and through through Christ to God the Father, uh, through the covenant with Him. And so, um, part of what we're doing is remembering Christ's own sacrifice for us. Hence the cross on my head. Um, but also, we're trying to say, hey, this is the. Um, this is something we're offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God uh, through the, as part of the body of Christ through the mass. And, th- and we're, we're, we're entering into the, the suffering that Christ has in order to enter also into the resurrection that Christ won from God the Father. So, yeah, so don't think of it in terms of quid pro quo. Think of it instead as generosity and then there's a lot of other things but certainly what you can do is rectify it i'm going to offer to god all the inconveniences of my life right now and that that's in and, and smile through all of my crankiness sometimes smiling is one of the great you know sacrifices
1: and super <laughs> meditating on the cross during lent puts things in perspective right um, i mean people are bearing tremendous suffering um, in many uh, in many ways On the other hand, if, um, you know, thanks be to God, if there are only minor inconveniences, it's happening in your life and you're not being crucified, you know?
0: That's right. Uh, Yeah. Having nails through your flesh is harder than having to watch a lot of Netflix.
1: Correct. Correct. Um, We are we're supposed to stop now. Any last words on mercy? I could ask you so many more questions.
0: Um, well, just, uh, remember that, that our the standard of mercy that we're being held to, uh, this is in Luke chapter six, verse 36, is, um, be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. So our standard of mercy is in what's in our heart. It's, we have to let our hearts be transformed to be like God's so that we can then show mercy like God does. And one of
1: my favorite quotes from your book is you write, we, not, we might not be able to help everybody, but we can help one more person make it through one more day. And it, that seems like a, a, a recipe for um, not being so prideful about our mercy and justice. You know, um, w- w- the world is not going to be perfected by any of our acts um, and our entire lives even. Um, but, um, but just uh, loving as God commands, right?
0: That's right. Go forward. We do what we can and not more.
1: Well, thank you, Father Daniel Maloney. Again, the book is Mercy, What Every Catholic Should Know from Ignatius Press and the Augustine Institute. Thank you so much. And um, thank you everyone for tuning in.
0: Thanks for having me. This podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at ignatius.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it, and please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening.